Welcome, everybody, to episode 19, Rules of the Arena. Um, just want to get some housekeeping stuff out of the way right now. Thank you for all of you that are listening on iTunes. I've had a lot of good feedback come back from uh, from that. I just need you to do me a huge favor. Pull out your phone unless you're driving. Don't do that. And go to I open up your iTunes app. Go to Rules of the Arena page. And I need you to give me a five-star review on there. Uh, it's going to really help me out. It keeps, you know, allows me to kind of pop farther up, up on the list there. And if you are driving when you get there or just go home and pull over it on the side of the road and give me a five-star review. If not, if it's not a five-star worthy, shoot me an email, roapodcastinfo at gmail.com and tell me why you don't like it. And I will do my best to fix it or ignore you. <laughs> <laughs> 50-50 shot. Um, for everybody listening right now, thank you for tuning in. Today we, uh, we are sitting down with Joe, and this episode is brought to you by Blind Ninja Studios. If you haven't listened to any other other shows, you should really go check that out. Uh, we just recorded Department of Defense. You can check that out live on Twitch at 6 p.m. on Sundays. They also have Homebrew Bound, which I have listened to religiously for the last three months. I've listened to the past four years' worth of episodes. I'm so sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I learned a lot. If you're looking at brewing ever or maybe you're homebrewing already, I highly recommend that. If you and as <clears throat> as the intro puts it, it's a show dedicated to helping you make the best beer possible. I can agree with that. Um, if you're a bit of a nerd like I am, uh, Legends of Lothos. Uh, if you're into tabletop gaming, it's a lot of fun to listen to and kind of makes up for the lack of gaming I've been able to Comes do. Comes back the 28th of this month. Perfect. And if you're a big music fan, you can also check out Soundwave with Matt and Carlos, where they talk about kind of different musical topics every week, and that comes out on Mondays? Thursdays. Thursdays, I'm yep. sorry. Actually, same day as ROA. Oh, perfect. See, there you go. Two shows, one day. Uh, t- and today, I'm joined always with my co-host, Grandpa Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Back in my day. <laughs> and super producer, Casey. Oh, hey. I just want to throw out a big thank you to him. Uh, as I was describing the show the other day to somebody, uh, he has been putting up with me for the last month and a half or so of being like the five-year-old in the back seat of the station wagon on a long road trip going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we it's there okay. yet? I have, I have a good trainer in Fredrickson, so. <laughs> <laughs> and today, like I said, we are sitting down with Joe, owner of All Points North Consulting, a local security consulting firm. Joe's a retired FBI. FBI agent, former teacher, and has a degree in pastoral studies. Uh, Joe, why don't you just kind of tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself? Sure. I um, started out with a pastoral studies degree, and my wife and I were ministers for seven years, a lot of different settings, and school teacher for two years, um, and then worked with brain injury survivors for four years and picked up a master's in psychology. At that point, needed to make a living. Had, a, had two kids at home. Needed to make a living, started looking around for a new job, and found a brochure that talked about the FBI. Um, saw the list of what you needed to be in it. Thought, I meet all these. I applied for 40 other jobs, so why not try another one? Sure. Um, talked to my uncle. I met him once, a uh, distant uncle, and he was a retired FBI agent. Said his best job ever. Talked to my brother's landlord, retired FBI agent. Said his best job ever. To, I got subpoenaed by the FBI at the same time, as it would happen, um, for some medical records for our business. And talked to that agent and said it was a great job. So kind of got the message there. And we went home, talked to my wife, and said, 
why not? And she said, you'll never get in. I said, I'll never get in, but why not? <laughs> so we threw the application in, and six months later, is at Quantico. Um, and then spent 20 years with the FBI, first two years in Southern Illinois, small office, doing every kind of work that the Bureau does. And then the last 18 years, I was in Minneapolis, uh, seven years doing white collar crime as a case agent, a uh, couple years uh, white supremacy work, uh, domestic terrorism, uh, four years of child prostitution cases. And then the last four years, as it happens in many businesses, including the government businesses, I got voluntold into being the training coordinator. <laughs> and so when the bosses said, you should do training, I said, great idea, boss. And it actually was good. I enjoyed doing it. Um, I spent, and that's right when Sandy Hook hit. So as soon as I took the job, everyone wanted an active shooter. And so we kind of shifted, and I still did internal training and other things too, but did a lot of active shooter presentations for the community. Did 230 of them in four years while I was there. Uh, retired about a year and a half ago. Um, I always promised my wife I'd retire when I could. And then um, started this business because I still wanted to make more people safe. And it seems like there's a need out there. So now um, speak to any group that will have me uh, about you know, number of different things. So I do uh, how to avoid and survive violence is what most people want to hear about. But I also do act, uh, active listening skills as a negotiator for about five years and those skills that can work in a lot of different situations. Psychological first aid, how to deal with trauma before, during and after the fact. Work with banks on how to, what to do before, during, after bank robberies. Worked a number of bank robberies and just as a hint out there, don't rob a bank. It's really stupid. It's not a good idea. You will get Shit. caught. Wait, are you saying it's not the 1880s anymore? No, no, no. <laughs> People keep doing it. So I don't get it. The James but, um, Younger man. <laughs> I didn't mind working on bank robberies. It was kind of fun, but uh, not a good way to make a living. Um, and so whatever people need, I'll do. I also do a lot of tabletop exercises where you'll go to a business or organization and work with them to come up with what potential problems they may encounter and then challenge those in a group setting and having local law enforcement involved, EMS or whoever would be responding and work together to try and figure out the best policies ahead of time. Did some full sale, full scale exercises with different groups. So pretty much what everybody needs um, to be safer. And the reason I do this is because we live in a world surrounded by people who want to hurt us. And almost everybody agrees with me, but I do a lot of college work and I had a professor you know, pipe up one time when I was talking recently and disagreed with me about the evil in the world. But I don't know. I say watch the news and then come back and talk to me. But we are surrounded by folks that want to do us harm. And um, the way to have safety is to apply wisdom. And there's a lot of wisdom out there that have been learned by many people over many years. And you can take from different areas. And if you apply that wisdom to your life individually or to group settings, everybody's going to be um, dramatically safer. So that's what I'm about now. And with, you said you do like the tabletop settings, you know, is that basically they lay out their, their floor plan or how does that, how does that work if you're working with a client on that? No, it's, it's more about finding out what the potential problems are. And then, so you'd sit at a table, so the organ, the leaders would come up with a list of problems, like suspicious, suspicious package or, um, if somebody's spotted with a gun in the uh, parking lot, if somebody's getting aggressive with the front desk staff, so whatever these different scenarios would be. And so I'd have everybody sit at a table, and then as a leader of the um, tabletop, I would put out the presentation and say, here's what just happened, what are you gonna do about it? And then people start piping in and giving suggestions, and we kind of work together to see. And the interesting thing is, what you find a lot of time is that people 
don't feel they have enough authority to do something. So people don't have enough authority to start the first responders or to reach out. And so you start finding out where the weaknesses are. Um, and also you can find out where policies should be changed to be more accurate with reality. Because if local law enforcement would be in a situation like that, they'll a lot of times say, well, no, no, that's not what's going to happen. Here's what really will happen. And here's how we'll be responding. So it tends to make it um, help people think ahead of time. And I'm a big believer in motor memory, that the best way to be safe is you lock some things in ahead of time. And that's one of the first steps to having good motor memories to work through these problems together. So that's been really helpful, I think, for groups. And I worked with a number of different you know, businesses, uh, big buildings downtown, hospitals, where we do these and they start changing their policies based on weaknesses that they pick up. So I don't know the weaknesses, but they do. And then I just kind of guide them through it. So when you say motor memory, are you talking about like drills actually running through scenarios and like I have to go to the phone or I can talk actually into my microphone? Thanks, Casey. Um, Or could you just elaborate on more what that is? Yeah, that can be helpful. Actually getting up and walking through something's phenomenal, even just thinking through something ahead of time. So it's all about locking things in ahead of time. Because that's what you're going to default to. Because mm-hmm. I like to teach people that everybody's going to be in crises in their life. And everybody's going to be, you have been, you will be, it's just part of living. And you can do one of three things when you're in a crisis. You're going to freeze, you're going to panic, you're going to do something productive. And the only way to do something productive is to lock some things in motor memory. And there's some people that just have that innate. Most people don't. Most people will freeze or panic. Mm-hmm. So to fight that, you lock in some good principles ahead of time. You know, to your point... One thing I did recently with a, there was a college with a particular threat. I was working with them and we went through each area in the college. So, you know, admin area or the area that deals with the students or these different wings of the building. And we'd sit down with them and figure out, okay, if there's a problem erupted, what are you going to do? How do you get out? And then they walked through it together and they started working together and coming up with like, oh, this window will open well. Or with this window would be great, but it doesn't open well. Let's get maintenance in here to fix that. Or, you know, this is the best way out. And one of the things we found there, which I think a lot of businesses have, is that the people most in danger are the front desk staff, which are either the newest Mm -hmm. person or the oldest person or something like that, because they're going to bear the brunt of things. And when the managers and people with offices are gone, they tend to lock their offices. And a lot of times that's the safest place for somebody to go, but they don't have access to that. So this college changed that, where they're going to lock up the materials that can't be seen publicly into file cabinets and leave the doors open hmm. so that those front desk staff have a place to egress to in case there's a problem out in the hallway. Now, when you, sorry, yeah. Yeah, when you, when you're meeting with a, a college or a school for the mm-hmm. first time, I mean, how many times do you find that they have, you know, the, the uh, problems, if you will, or situations already kind of mapped out, like, well, we thought about an active shooter. We thought about this or that or the other thing. Or how much, when you're having those tabletop meetings, how much do you have to kind of say, here are some common common situations. What do you do? Yeah. I think the nice thing now, I don't know if it's nice or not, but there's so much press out there about it, is everybody's thinking about it. And organizations are thinking about it, which is great. Um, but it's more guiding that thought into more productive, and, you know, that using that wisdom that other people found and how do you save it. How do you save lives? And you know what you look at too is statistically, what do you have to expect? And chances are what you're gonna have is one guy. If you look at the numbers, it's gonna be a guy and it's gonna be one person alone. Sometimes there's two like Columbine, but that's extremely rare. And you're not gonna have more than two. 
So your threat is one person that's in the building with you, either trying to kill or wound or whatever, a particular target or as many people as possible. So if that's your threat, don't hang out in the building with them. So that teaches us that we need to run. And then the old school thought with, with K-12 schools, where I still get some pushback from, is that it's shelter in place mm. was the best response or lockdown, whatever you want to call it. When actually you take run, which is the best response, away from the teachers and away from the staff to be able to guide the students out, if at all possible. Mm-hmm. So um, looking at what happened in the past will guide us to what we can expect in the future. And then we need to plan because the problem is these folks learn from each other, right? So now... Because people have a success with vehicles, running people over, that's something we need to consider. And people will keep learning from past. And IEDs is another one. We see a lot of that. And people learn from what's happened in the past there. So that will guide us as we come up with plans together with an organization. So you deal a lot with uh, egress. Do you deal uh, at all with like the ingress of people? Like, Do you work on uh, security for... Like, do you look at, like, I guess, perimeter security, like how people are getting into the building or anything like that? Right. And I'll work with, depends on the group, whatever they need. But sometimes, for example, when you look with the group, work with the group, there's three things you have to balance out. It's openness, budget, and security. So sometimes, somehow you have to balance all that out because you have to be You get to- two, but not three. Right, and then <laughs> security usually doesn't get the priority. So, <laughs> but somewhere in that mix, you have to figure it out. And I was just working with a particular business that has the public come in often. Mm-hmm. So I did some training for the staff, and then we walked around the building, just came up with ideas together how to make it a little safer. And some of that was finding ways for people to get out. And then, you know, some of it was if you have the budget in future years, maybe you want to buzz people in or put cameras here. You know, it's things you could do okay. to make it better and plan ahead for that. But I think the best way to save lives is to train staff because mm-hmm. um, you will never stop everybody You'll because your threats are internal also. So your threats are a combination of folks from the outside and inside. And so for those internal threats, they're there with you and they have the keys to the kingdom. But if everybody on the staff is trained how to survive, best survive, mm-hmm. the body counts drop. And so that's what my biggest push is, trying to train as many people as possible in some basic principles. And once again, this motor memory. We're going to lock in some motor memory things for folks to keep them safe. And, um, shit. <laughs> Productive comment, Gordon. The, the, yeah, the, the thought just, if you looked, you could see the curtain moving right out, right up the stairs there. <laughs> so uh, when, when I was in school, all of the windows, like, did not open right completely and so the the only egress option was the door which we were trained to because i mean when i was in high school it was just after columbine mm-hmm. and so it God was you, you you sh- you shut the door you lock it and you hide behind your desk that has no cover <laughs> like because it's just like just right. duck under your it's duck and yeah. cover like kiss your ass goodbye uh like, from like a desktop and bulletproof <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i had a so whoops sorry uh like in a building like that like what are the egress options well what you got never take run away because maybe you can have some information the shootings in the cafeteria and you're close enough to exit door to push people out and get as many people out as possible okay so it's you always take run as your first option and sometimes you don't have that option it is what it is but you should know ahead of time how you're barricading that door 
So the first time you think about it, it should be when there's a problem. So you should have things prepared. And there's lots of easy ways to barricade doors, especially doors that open inward. Mm -hmm. So there's all sorts of things you can do. Or maybe have heavy items you can move in front, but you prepare ahead of time. But then if you're stuck in that room, you don't just wait then. What you do at that point is you spread people out, but you encourage people to fight back. Because there's no downside to fighting. Because once once the bad guy is in the room with you, you're not too nice to shoot, and you can't talk your way out of it. It is what it is. And so that's when everybody brings violence to the person that's coming in on them. And that's the best way. And one teacher I heard an idea, which I thought was brilliant, um, was they had a, students didn't know this, but they have a, a crate of rocks, hmm. like hand-sized rocks. And so if that ever happened, they would pass it out to the students. It must have been an older class, but they'd pass it out to the students and say, if the back of the room, we're all throwing rocks. And how devastating would that be? And then you're moving yeah. and you're yelling, you're creating cast. You don't cluster together in the far side of the room or in the corner. You mm-hmm. spread out, you get aggressive, you get ready to fight. And you preposition weapons that you know are weapons, but the bad guy doesn't. Fire extinguishers, some of the best weapons out there. I mean, textbooks seem great. Yeah. They're heavy. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's all laptops, right? Yeah, right? Laptop. yeah no. Yeah. Chuck a MacBook at them. <laughs> <laughs> they have sharp edges. <laughs> Well, I remember being in high school. I had a teacher. Uh, he would request a school, uh, um, uh, classroom with a window every year, and the school would deny him. The reason we wanted to do that is he, because he had like five or six rope ladders, and he still kept them in there if anything were to happen. <laughs> but he had a five-inch steel plate that stood over his desk from wall to ceiling that if it were ever to get noticed that there's an active shooter, his first was to push that into the door because it opened into his classroom. Good luck moving that. But then his, well, screw you, school district, because I can't have a window. Well, here's a ladder going into the ceiling, and you'd actually climb up into the bar joist ceiling from Just it. brilliant. Yeah. You know, God bless them for that. That's great. Because, you know, you're, you're taking care of those that you have responsibility for. And, mm-hmm. and there's lots of things you just can't take away run. And then you prepare for the other two options mm-hmm. um, and do the best you can with it. Um, so I like it. Can we steal that one? Yeah. That's a good yeah. one. You go. I like run. Run is a good. Right. It, it really is. And I've it's been in, kind of my favorite. Can I, I have a question about a scenario that yeah, I, yeah. I spent the last six years working on college campuses. Yeah. Um, and I run event spaces, mm-hmm. concert halls. Uh, this happened to me while I was down south at UW Platteville. <clears throat> um, what was reported, a student pulled a fire alarm in the admin building. Mm-hmm. And when they got questioned by the police, they said, they saw someone loading a weapon in the bathroom. Yeah. So they pulled the admin bil- or the fire alarm in the admin building, which is right next to the concert hall. We were preparing for a show. Didn't know what happened. Like, campus didn't know what happened, and all of a sudden just people are flooding into our building because everyone's coming out of the admin building. Um, and then... Why, the- wait, if there's a fire alarm, why are they going from one building to another? I don't know. It's just what happened. Do um, they not know how fire works? <laughs> Far enough away. Thankfully, most you know state contract buildings are brick and concrete. Um, but that's what happened. And only there were only two professional staff, myself and the other uh, theater director, were in there. And we're both looking at each other like we don't know what to do. Right. There's people standing outside. There's people telling us it's a fire. There's people telling us it's a shooter. And we're sitting there like, I guess we're going to lock the doors. Um, Which is the worst idea in a fire. 
Right, well, yes, we knew our building was not on fire. It's another building, so yeah. you're good. Con- uh, uh, concert halls are, are heavily fire suppressed. If, if there was smoke in my building, uh, my stage would have dumped 40,000 gallons of water in a minute. Um, we our water's water. terrible. Right. You should that not use like water. What- <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, it's, a, it's a water curtain in case any of the soft goods go up. Um, but uh, I would have known. If my building was on fire, <laughs> I'd be swimming out. Um, but that was it's really what happened. Um, like, that was all we were told. It took forever for police to come through. I was in the building when police searched us because um, we were calling everyone that had tickets to the event, right. telling them not to show up. Sure. Everything got canceled. It was super fun to be on the business end of an AR-15. Um, you just sit there and put your hands in plain sight. It's sobering. It, very yeah. much so. Yes. Very much so. Um, and so I'm just curious, like, what... What sh- should have been our response, given limited information? You know, I think that's a good example because it's never clean and easy. Mm-hmm. It's always confusing and chaotic. But that's why you go back to the principles of run and then hide and fight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you hear there's a shooter, I think I'd encourage people to keep moving. It's hard to hit a moving target, and chances are there's just one shooter. Mm-hmm. So just creating distance is always a good thing and spreading out. Like, I encourage businesses if when their their plans don't do the same thing you do for a fire drill, you have a meetup spot somewhere, you keep spreading out, keep creating distance. And the nice thing is within three to five minutes, and I'm not sure what your experience was, but usually three to five minutes, anywhere within a relatively populated area in our country, you're going to have law enforcement response. Because mm-hmm. unlike Columbine, which they did state of the art at the time, they did a perimeter, but they don't do it anymore. So first one in, first person there is going to deal with it. And if they're alone, they're going to deal with it alone. Like mm-hmm. the... St. Cloud stabbing attack. Mm. Um, there was a, the mall up there, and this off-duty officer just took care of business on his own. So that's how. It, so, th- well, how long was it for you? Just out of curiosity. Probably thirty minutes. Oh, 30. Wow. It was a long. Yeah, it was 15, 20 so, minutes before we heard the word shooter go around. Oh, okay. So it didn't. Okay. I don't know. Again, the main access to the admin building is through. A different like there's a physical barrier yeah. between our building and that i think here there's a fire in the building you did the mm-hmm. perfect thing you just wait and then keep people from coming because it ain't mm-hmm. going to be happening and then, then but when you hear shooter then you switch gears yep. you know and these things are chaotic and you don't lose anything if you would have said okay right keep moving let's go let's not cluster together mm-hmm. you know it's all good it's just a dry run then so yeah. a, a shooter situation in like a college like that is like Instead of, like, keeping everybody in one location, you're saying, so, it's like, go home? It's Just like go, a, go away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go like, away. And, and get in your car, like... Yeah, normally within within three to five minutes, if it is a shooter situation, people are calling 911. Law enforcement will be there in mass, and they will mm-hmm. find you. And they're going to they're gonna have plenty of people showing up that's mm-hmm. going to find folks. And then I would have you be, not go home, but be close enough where you may provide information or your parents or somebody's going to worry you're dead. So right. you want to be able to check in with somebody, but go far enough away that you won't be in a threatened area. Mm-hmm. I teach people the difference between concealment and cover. So once you get far enough away, you feel safe. You find something that is cover, not concealment. Concealment blocks you from view, which is great. But, but it cover, doesn't block you from a bullet. Exactly. It won't stop around. So right. good example is a car. Hmm. If you tuck down in a car, tuck down behind the engine block, that'll stop around. A trunk won't. So get far enough away where you feel safe, find some cover, tuck down. Are you saying the movies are wrong and a car door will not stop rounds? <clears throat> no, you don't have unlimited <laughs> ammo. Too, <so laughs> I know for a fact that a 9mm will go in one door but will not come out the other. But it will go in one door. Usually yeah. when, yeah, it definitely goes through one door. 
you know, I don't want to be the one time it goes all the way through. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, I have luck of the Irish to yeah, the yeah. fullest. <laughs> Gordon would get shot at once and end up with three holes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, speaking of luck of the Irish, did you hear about uh, Londonderry uh, this this weekend? Oh, yeah. No. They had a car bombing for the first time oh, in goodness. 20 years. Jesus. Yeah, the troubles are starting up again. I That's, that's not a fucking joke. Like, no, no, it's, no, I heard that. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mean to bring this serious conversation no, down, because it, it was really light and airy. Uh, well, I mean, no, but it's I mean it's it's a legitimate yeah, thing that I, like we do have some overseas listeners, and this is a mm-hmm. thing that yeah. could definitely be. And yeah. here's the problem nowadays. Maybe to spin off of that is mm-hmm. it's so easy to make something to go boom. It's just so easy, and you just gotta go online. Mm-hmm. And anybody, can, you know, when I was a kid. Um, a little older than you guys, you'd have to find an anarchist cookbook or old army field manuals or the kid in the neighborhood missing fingers, right? You couldn't do it on your own. <laughs> or all three. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not going to say what I did or didn't do. It's an off hair discussion. Yeah. Well, you got to have your fingers, so. Uh, yeah. I'm not- <laughs> but nowadays it's so easy. So you see it as an add on, and, mm-hmm. and it's really frightening. And so law enforcement now, we train, they train, uh, not they, but. Um, how to deal with IEDs, and it's something that is in the forefront of our mind. And so we saw, you know, you see it there. It's easy to see it here, you know. So, mm-hmm. and people keep learning from each other, and it's just getting so easy. And um, so that's frightening. Now, I used to work for a big retail company just over in Woodbury, and they had a code system set up for various. You know, if there was a fire, it was this code. If it was a missing child, it was this. That in court, all the you know managers would have a walkie-talkie or people, certain staff did, and then also the PA system. I mean, is that something that you ever address, or is that more kind of codes? Okay, yeah, you know, and then people are getting away from it. That was once again stated. Yeah. We keep learning, which is great. Wisdom, we keep getting more wisdom. We're applying it because the nice, you know, the nice thing about active shooter situation. Or I like targeted violence is a better word. Sometimes it's a knife, like in St. Cloud or IED, but in these type of mass killing situations. The bad guy knows what he's doing, so you're not surprising him. And so you want to use plain language whenever possible and get that information out to as many people as possible so they can decide how to survive for three to five minutes until law enforcement arrives. Are you not worried about a panic situation with the general public? Or is that is that a thing that we've realized that doesn't matter? You know, what's more dangerous? Somebody with a weapon trying to kill people or people running? You know, I think the person with the weapon, you know, if there's a legitimate threat, somebody identifies it, then I say get it out there okay. and let people decide how to survive for a few minutes. So you don't want them... Cl- you gotta give them that ability to save their lives. Save their lives. And a good example of this: there's a big uh, tower in one of the downtown um, here in the cities. And what they have, they have a nice luxury where they have a secure security area where they have cameras. And so somebody in that that security staff is in there monitoring things. And so when there's an incident, they're trained to say, um, "Active shooter, fourth floor. If you can run, run. If you can't, hide." and then update people. So mm-hmm. people have the knowledge then to figure out what they're gonna do for a few minutes. So, and colleges are a good example too, because now they have the text alerts that they mm-hmm. have to have. Mm-hmm. And so they can put out a text. There's a shooter in Miller Hall, um, run if you can run, hide if you can't. You know, mm-hmm. So it gives them the knowledge and to know which way to go. So it gives much information out as possible mm-hmm. and then let people survive for that few minutes. So I'm just kind of a random question, mm-hmm. and you might know this too. Mm-hmm. Colleges, do they do um, test alerts with those systems, or is it... Yes. So, is it one of those things where 
people will start like kind of like fire alarms. Mm-hmm. Nobody really listens to a fire alarm anymore. It's from it my is. experience. Um, one it depends on the campus. Okay. Everything everything depends. Even within the same system, every campus is different, um, and it really depends on who manages the system. Like locally, the IT department manages it, and it's really, really good. Okay, it's obnoxiously good because they test it like every two weeks. What about Hawaii? <coughs> Long live to Fruit Loop. Um, well, no, no. You, I mean, you remember the yeah. tech system in Hawaii that went haywire in January? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I missed that by a week. <laughs> I see. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. So luckily, I missed that by a week. It's been a bad day. Yeah. Oof. Um. I forgot about that. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> um, and they test the different parts of it because some of it is pushed by some of them are weather related, and those get pushed by the local, um, whatever the federal mm-hmm. response is. Some of them are on campus. No, like I mean, like I know. get a lot of these alerts on my phone. Yeah. And I'm just like swipe. Like. Yeah. And some depending, the campus ones are actually pretty good because they'll follow up. Um, our campus again it'll hit your email your text message and whatever other inf- uh, source of contact that you've given it says what suddenly when it's corroborating itself okay yeah then you pay attention a little and more. i think yeah. if it says start with this is not a test yeah there's a shooter i think that's mm-hmm. gonna get people's attention yeah. if you get a percentage of people at least that's right. gonna start that's, moving that's folks. better yeah yep. we did have an incident in town Oh, a few um, years ago, yeah. Yeah, um, there was a shooting off campus. There's a lot of misinformation, and it took campus a while to actually respond to it because it was in the evening. Sure. Um, and then when on-campus staff, because so several of the buildings are open late um, and run by students, when they contacted campus police, they were basically told, we're dealing with the situation, but we can't give you any information about it. Um, and then it was several hours later. You know, a bunch of people just came down to the bars that night. Yeah. Well, there was, yeah, there was that. And it was, people were flocking to different buildings and some people were like, oh my God, we're sheltering in place. And other people were running away. Um, so Um, we have a question in the chat, which is really interesting. So in a school or office, uh, the assumption is that most people are mobile. What about like a hospital, um, where people aren't? That's a great, and I've worked with a lot of hospitals, and it's all about training ahead of time. Okay. And so there's going to be folks in a hospital that can't move. But um, one thing, nice thing, is if there's folks with medical training, if they can get out and survive, they can come back in quickly to triage to help folks. So that's one advantage to surviving. Um, and there's going to be like, uh, we talk about operating rooms. Or people that can't. But if you can know that ahead of time, you can engineer the door in such a way that you got a pretty good chance that nobody's getting. And once again, it's three to five minutes. Mm-hmm. You got to survive. Within 12, throughout, everything's pretty much done. But between the five minutes and the 12 minutes, probably law enforcement is in, actively engaging um, the, the shooter. So you plan more aggressively ahead of time. The other people I work with is nursing homes, mm-hmm. which is horrifying, mm-hmm. right? And you can't put that on somebody. You have to stay. So it's once again, everybody has, it's a lot of moral dilemmas come up in these things I talk Mm -hmm. about. So you will encounter moral dilemmas and you have to decide what you're going to do with it. Um, You know, example, somebody, I I train folks that if you're leaving a a dangerous area, there's a active violence going on and you find somebody that's wounded. It's best not to putz around with them, move, dream for shock or move them because somebody comes around the corner is two targets. Instead, you calm them down, say, we're coming back for you, lay still, play dead. But if they're bleeding out, that's a moral dilemma. And you have the knowledge and ability to save their life, 
you got to decide. Nobody can decide that but you. So hospitals are full of those dilemmas. Teachers, you know, have those dilemmas. It's just you have to embrace it. And For Joe Schmo, is it save yourself? If you if you don't know that you don't or that you have the ability to save somebody, just get out and come back. You know, it's a moral dilemma. I don't know. I can't okay. tell you. Everybody's gonna have to think. You know, when you counter folks, I encourage people not to get out if they can. Another thing that's nice is getting as many people out of the building as possible makes it easier for law enforcement to more quickly mm-hmm. get in and identify the threat. Okay. Because they don't have to deal with you. You know, if everybody stays in place and clusters together and things, their law enforcement will be coming in aggressively, but they're going to encounter a lot of people and they don't know if you're the bad guy. You know, yeah. And, and people will be chaotic. So you want to help them out too by... Getting out of the way. Mm-hmm. And then you know, calmly dealing with, you know, when they come across you eventually, you know, giving you information or enlisting their commands, but... Along that vein, mm-hmm. what do you do with a privately armed citizen? Okay. I, What's your, I mean, your thought? I'll, I'll give you my thoughts on that because mm-hmm. I get this one all the time. So I, I'm ready I, for I, this I, one. I figured. <laughs> all right. Um, so I'm not going to tell you if you should or shouldn't, um, but I'm going to say there's four rules I have for people to do concealed carry. Mm-hmm. And you got to kind of think through these things because it's such a heavy, I, I don't like when people do it flippantly. You have to go into it very knowledgeable knowledgeably and think about it number one is planning getting shot in the back because what do you look like if you if you pull out your weapon mm-hmm. that you're legally allowed to have and you save life you're saving lives you're engaging a bad guy mm-hmm. that's great but plan on the first responder or another concealed carry person shooting you right because you you aren't what you look like i mean i don't know if you can see me or not you know listening but i look like a social worker more than anything else I always have always will you know i never look like a cop but mm-hmm carried gun for 20 years and i knew if i engaged a bad guy which i wouldn't hesitate i got a good chance of getting drilled in the back and we lose law enforcement you know that happens you know not all the time but definitely does happen we've lost agents that way um but it's nobody's fault you just gotta kind of own that and number two is you better prepare and train like law enforcement does i'm pretty distant I'm not happy with how concealed carry in Minnesota once a year, once every five years. Once sh- every five years. You shoot at a stack of target, you don't have to hit it. Yeah. I've heard. And, which is crazy. So. You just have to be able to fire the weapon. Yeah. Was Wisconsin didn't, until I think recently, didn't require Didn't even have to fire, fire. yeah. No, it, like, I, I thought that was only own. if you had, you know, uh, like military training or hunter mm-hmm. safety or no? Oh, no. okay. No, no. The, the The official stance of Blinded Studios is you should not conceal carry. <laughs> and <laughs> and I won't go there. I'm going to leave it open. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying our official stance as a company. Is... <laughs> but if you do, mm-hmm. you train. And I know people that aren't law enforcement, they train very aggressively and, and strictly and do a great job mm-hmm. and they're ready for it. And sometimes that training includes, you know, working out physically. You know, especially as you age and things and compensating for different things. So so you train like law enforcement so you won't be a problem, be more of a help. Um, right. Number three is you better have a life in, or a good insurance policy, you know, because you will be sued. Mm-hmm. You know, say you engage a, the worst bad guy ever and save a school bus full of kindergartners. That, that guy's going to sue the shit out of you. Well, he's dead. If, well, hopefully, if, at that yeah, point. If, if he's dead, his family will. Will sue. Yeah, exactly. He stole my thunder there. But yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to. <laughs> they will sue you. It is what it is. So you need a, need a good insurance policy. And mm-hmm. I heard one instructor, which I thought was brilliant, said wrap a $20,000 bill around the barrel of your gun and just plan on spending it if you pull it. Yeah, I just said um, there's a indoor gun range up at my place, and they do uh, conceal and carry classes up there. But 
post-class this last month, uh, well, I suppose still January, they had a lawyer who specializes in if you are involved, like you you legally can conceal and carry and you were involved in a shooting, uh, you can come in, and that's what his what his shtick is, but uh, you can come in and he did two hours of just people asking questions. You know, hey, what about this? What about that? What about the other thing? And I just I happened to pop in and just kind of sit down. I didn't ask any questions, but just to listen. It's like, shit. <laughs> you pull it's, the trigger, yeah. you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what... Um, it's sobering. Yeah. It's sober, yeah. And it should be. Mm-hmm. It should be. Absolutely. And when I was in the FBI, I carried my own uh, policy. I carried a liability policy in case the Department of Justice I had a, wasn't in scope of my employment that day when something happened. It just made me sleep better at night having that policy. And do there. a lot of agents do that? Yeah, almost everybody. I okay. Believe. It just, you know, gives a little comfort in case, you know, right. something happens. Because you're, you're never truly off the job. Is no, no, a, you're always yeah. on duty. Okay. Always on duty. If I can backtrack uh, just a few questions um, <clears throat> going back you know that moral compass if you will mm-hmm. I mean when you're doing these training seminars with whether it's a school or hospital or whoever the nursing home uh, do you get a lot of people saying well what about this you know that more you know those people pushing back it, if you will yeah I love it when they do I mean it makes it a lot yeah. more interesting I love and colleges probably get more of that from professors but um Love that interaction back and forth with folks. Um, Damn you, water heater. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for those of you turning into the first time that we have a water heater down here that we have no control over. It is the nemesis. It is. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but the people that, you know, that struggle with it, like something linear. If A happens, you do B, and then C. It doesn't work like that. It give you general principles that you lock in ahead of time to be safe. And then you apply them as best you can. I'm giving you some cards to play. You, you deal with the hand you're dealt, but you have some good cards to play. And so, you know, run is the ace. You always play that if you can. And if you can't, then you do hide. Then you do fight. And kind of equip people with that. And, you know, prepares you ahead of time as you think through it. Because the worst thing to do is have the first time you thought about it is when suddenly an alarm goes off in the building, you see something happening, something bad break, you know, something breaks bad around you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, just for example, uh, if we here down at Blind Ninja Studios were your first time clients and you're having your first... We only have one egress, we're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you can barricade it well. So yeah. you <laughs> we have improvised yeah. weapons. It's all good. Yeah. I mean, we have yeah. Molotovs, we're good. We let yeah. burn it down on top of us. I'll bring my apple pie down here for you. Yeah, what, I mean, how would you walk us through... Uh, your first meeting, if you will. You know, it depends what clients want. I mean, everything, every situation is so different. But I'm always going to encourage people to train the staff is the key. Because you can train f- physical things, but your threat can still be internal. You know, it could be one of you three, right? Ah, uh, damn it, Gordon. I'm just saying. I'm not saying who, but... <laughs> I'm more Gordon calls me that. Grandpa one more fucking time. <laughs> Oh, but Ben, I like you, don't you? <laughs> Here's this candy bar. <laughs> Casey makes the good beer. But the best way to save lives is to train as many people as possible. That's what I'm encouraging people to do. And I just did that recently. Somebody, we were working on sent some for the spring when I get back. And, and so we're talking about that. And I, we're going to look through the facility. So I think that's a great thing. Just walk through together and get some ideas. 
um, maybe talk about doing some tabletops with them was an idea. But my encouragement, my thing is to encourage as many people as possible to be trained. And one thing I like to train to is managers mm-hmm. and supervisors because they can be real key in this because if they have knowledge about what's going on in their staff's lives, they can pick up on threats ahead of time. Because another thing I like to talk about is there's prevent indicators of violence, and then we should be looking out for those. So the FBI does a lot of studies after the fact when, it, when one of these if situations happens, and most likely the person's dead. So mm-hmm. it's like a psychological autopsy, basically. And then look for th- themes, and there's, there's definitely themes that come up. And so you can see things in people's life and maybe get ahead of a problem. And it happens. People, things get stopped. People start checking boxes. People get nervous. And probably the best example of that, the people that are best at it, is colleges. Because every fall, a bunch mm-hmm. of crazy 18-year-olds show up, right? Yes. And there's a percentage <laughs> of those folks that shouldn't be there because they're not safe for themselves or others. And so colleges have a threat advisory committee or team or whatever they call it. But they're a group of decision makers, and usually including a good forensic psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, that can come together quickly and make a decision with a little Susie or a little Johnny and how to keep people safe. Does Cyber for Falsism on those? They do have a response team. Um, no, but do they have the forensic psychologist? I do not know that. Okay. <clears throat> I know they have a psychologist. I don't know if they're oh, a okay. forensic psychologist. A psychologist with experience. I right. like forensic psychologists. They're kind of the state of the art when you deal with this. I just worked with a college recently and they called in. You know, there's people that will do it over the phone, even mm-hmm. locally, mm-hmm. where they'll. Um, consult with you and it was a great experience and so you look at all these different um, interview everybody that because the nice thing is talk about all the different people that deal with the student or mm-hmm. deal with the individual because you get different views of them mm-hmm. and people will only see a part and then get the whole picture and then together try and decide what you could do ahead of time so um, you're talking about like dealing with management and stuff like that so if Joe Schmo listening to this episode is like, hey, I feel like we should implement this in my office. They don't have a lot of clout. Is there any advice that you can give them to implement or uh, something to tell their their employer to be oh, like, yeah. hey? Yeah, that's that's a, that's a good one. And so I, ha- I have a speech for that. Okay. So it's the, um, if something breaks bad, if somebody breaks bad um, in your business, in your organization, whatever it happens to be, plan on whoever's in charge of it the next morning the news station will be on your front lawn you know it'd be the channel nine moment you know mm-hmm. you know you're having a bad day when you go out to your car in channel nine upn but that will happen because no. it's, uh-huh. it's a big accident people lose lives they're going to be talking to you and you want to have an answer well, we've prepared for this. We did the best we can. We limited the losses. We have EAP ahead of time. You know, it's setting up. So you do these have these things to talk about. And the other thing is you will be sued as an organization, right? And so wouldn't it be nice on the stand to be able to say, well, we trained for this. We prepared. We did, you know, state of the art. We did the best we can, you know, we, and we saved lives because of it mm-hmm. versus I did nothing. And you know you're going to have employees that are, are not going to be real happy, and they'll be more than happy to spread the news that you didn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Or the ones that said, hey, I warned them, and they didn't do anything. And it's it, there's no downside with training people to be safer. Mm-hmm. And if anything does happen, it would be a horrible situation to be in to be able to explain and explain to people's families why you decided not to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, and the last thing you want to be is that woman in her moo-moo in the trailer park being like that tornado came through we had no idea like <laughs> <laughs> time for that now 
you know, we, we mentioned hospitals, you mentioned, you know, the company, you know, fourth floor, this is going on. You know, what about small businesses? You know, the, the ma and pa shops, you know, I mean, can they reach out to you and work with you? Yeah, or and, you... And the nice thing is, um, I'm, I'm affordable because I have low overhead. My office looks a little bit like this, you know, it's, <laughs> I work out very well put together. You mean? So yes. That's Thank you. Gordon. Color coordinated. <laughs> so we low, have colors, low overhead and it doesn't cost much to train people. There's mm-hmm. some really easy things you can do. Um, and prepare ahead of time is, it's just applying that wisdom that's out there already. And there's no downside to it at mm-hmm. all. And, um, even you go online, there's one of the videos I like the best to prepare for run, how to fight was filmed in Houston. It's about seven or eight minutes long. It's a really good, uh, department of justice or uh, Homeland security paid for it. But when you search online for run, hide fight, look for the one filmed in Houston. It's about seven, eight minutes, really good illustration of what it would look like in an active shooter event. Um, a lot of businesses will have that up for employees where they watch that annually or mm-hmm. part of their training or new employee orientation. Um, so it's just simple. It doesn't cost anything mm-hmm. to do that. You know, it doesn't cost anything or much to add some extra fire extinguishers around or do some training or, or maybe lock certain doors or, you know, we are fighting human nature when you deal with security. So you got to keep that in mind. For example, um, church I used to go to, people would leave certain doors open around the kids areas cause it's convenient, but we don't want that. So we took away all the handy rocks that were fist size you could block the door with and move them away just trying to make it a little harder for folks to mm. um, not comply and um, so there's just simple things to do and um, it doesn't take much and when you're doing these trainings I mean, do you uh, going back a little bit do you ever come across the uh, the hero type if you will well if somebody came into this building, I, this is what I would do. I mean, I, how do you? How would you deal with, you know, like, let's knock down the ego a little bit, but and here's what should happen, or... Yeah, you know, that's, I have one particular one in mind that happened, <laughs> that happened to me where somebody was, uh, uh, got really aggressive with me while he's presenting, and I think it was a misunderstanding, but I think he's just a little, little off. Mm. But, um, and I'm not going to reach him ever. If somebody's like that, you know, and that's fine. But if I can reach a majority of people, it, it's all about limiting the loss. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we can't always stop them from coming, from happening, but you can limit the losses. You can limit the body count. We don't have to big body counts. And I like to say, never again, I want anybody to get to reload, right? Nobody gets to reload again. You know, that's, we're going to take some action and end it. Um, one number I like is 21 times within, between 2000 and 2013, the FBI did a big study in 21 times when they had active shooter incidents, unarmed civilians worked together and they defeated the shooter and restrained them or whatever till law enforcement arrived. Mm-hmm. So we can learn from that. We can do that going forward. And if I get the majority of people on board with me, then I'm good. You know, there's going to be outliers always. And there's going to be people that will freeze no matter what you do. And there'll be people that overreact. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. But I want to get most of them. Oh, that's good. I have a special vested interest in not only yeah. do I work on college campuses, my wife is a high school teacher, so I'm absolutely, yeah. always really like. <laughs> and of course, you know, I, I grew up with two high school teachers. Well, for one former high school teacher, my mom just retired, and mm-hmm. I remember growing up, uh, you know, they talk about active shooter, blah blah blah. Especially after Columbine, it, yeah, it seems what really hit home. <clears throat> and being, you know, again in high school, sixteen, seventeen years old. 
Yeah. This is stupid. I know more than the teachers, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then now, you know, like you said, you know, that's this kind of the, the world we unfortunately live in. Mm-hmm. You know, and we hear more about it today. So there, it's skewed somewhat, but it is on the increase. You know, violent crime is trending down because we're aging as a population. But this particular type of crime is trending up. <laughs> and so I like to think about it as a purposeful suicide. Because most people that engage one of these targeted violence events are not going to live throughout the day, and they know that going into it. And so I would think maybe in the past, maybe some people just killed themselves. But now, you know, they learn from other people, and they see other people getting what they perceive as fame and, and all that. So one thing I avoid doing is talking about the names of the folks that do these. I don't want to give them, give them anything, any credibility. Um, but this trending up. For whatever reason, they're trending up. And, you know, I had a sociology professor fight with me at one presentation one time about why it was trending up, and that's fine. But <laughs> for whatever reason it is, so we need to prepare for it, regrettably. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, people can get more lethal because it keeps getting easier and easier, and people learn from each other. Mm-hmm. Nope. Changing to a, a slightly lighter topic. Okay, I was, I, I'm waiting <laughs> yeah. for my point to ask start asking stupid questions no, so uh, you yeah. ask good ones so it's fine <laughs> um, if there's anybody if you can if you're watching on Twitch right now if you can comment in the section the the comment board uh, if you can still see what's going on it's not what do you mean like no it's, just, it's back on it, okay, well, it just shut down completely I had a couple no, no, other no, streams we're, we're going. back on now hmm it, well, I just—it's not on for me. It, yeah, Garden, like you're fine. You were, fine. You, were you don't worry about that. Let me worry about that. Yeah, that's his job. Uh, <laughs> Are you getting a refill? No. Good. Well, give me a refill. I'm just curious. Uh, going back to more the the small business vein of our conversation, mm-hmm. um, can you talk about your progression from from being a pastor to? An FBI agent. Yeah, no, that's, a that's a very interesting progression. Yeah, and there's not a lot of me. You know, I met one other agent once that had the same progression, but that's the only one. Mm-hmm. Most people progress to ministerial, redemptive kind of work after. It'd, it'd be after, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, but I believe that God led me into it, you know, to be, a, you know, I, chances mm-hmm. are I, I shouldn't have been what I am because, you know, it's such a hard job to get. Mm-hmm. And I applied for at least 40, 50 positions, and that's the one that hired me. You know, when I started out, I found the brochure. I was applying for all sorts of different positions. Um, my wife and I both thought there's no chance, but why not? You know, what's the harm? Mm-hmm. And I kept passing. And it was shocking because of my first my first uh, introduction to it is I got invited for the written test. And there's like 40 people that met together in the Minneapolis office at the time. And cause that's where I came in through. And they were lawyers and accountants and like federal agents from other agencies switching. And I'm like, one of these things doesn't belong. I'll tell you. It's <laughs> but then about half of them disappeared after that test. And then I got invited to the second test, which is an oral interview. And um, once again, same group, you know, the half that survived. And I felt like a fish out of water. Um, just very different background. And um, But then half of them disappeared. And I kept on going. Yeah. And then there's a whole polygraph, background interviews, and all that. And that, you know, kept going. And, you know, six months later, at Quantico. It was just two of us from the original group I started with. Um, and it, it, I think it's been a, a good use of my gifts and who I am. And, and um, my God's a God of justice, I used to say. I came up with that when I was at Quantico trying to explain mm-hmm. the, the progression. 
Um, and we deal with a lot of people in very difficult situations. And some of those pastoral skills came into play. I dealt with child prostitution for four years and a lot of working with a lot of. Victims. So how, how far like did you did you finish your pastoral degree? Mm-hmm. Were were you pastoring at a church at the time or? Yeah, I was a licensed minister. My wife and I both were for seven, about seven years. Okay. Um, so was. Uh, School teacher at a private school for a couple of years, youth pastor, young adult pastor, associate pastor. And, well, I mean, in the pastoral position, you're doing, like, you're not just a pastor. You're helping people out with their marital problems. With Like, you're, you're a counselor as well mm-hmm. and yeah. a confidant and all that stuff. And yeah. I'm sure that helped as well. In the- yeah. You know, there's certain cases that it really helped having some background in, you know, church life and things so it, it worked out well and then I also had a master's in psychology okay, before I got right. in so that helped it all kind of came together and I was a supervisor in a business and I think that helped me to um, part of the way to get into be an FBI agent a little clue here for folks if you're interested is life experience um, the average age of a new agent is 30 oh, that's wow. what I was when I got in because you have to have done something you can't just have a degree and that's all good but you have to have done you, something. You see, like, there's not a lot of agents coming right out of Quantico, like, right out of, like, having a college degree and then going into Quantico. And It'd be then, pretty... Uh, pretty rare? Pretty rare. I, and I, I, TV I, has lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> TV always lies. Yeah. So These are where all my stupid questions are coming from, yeah. and they're going to be great. They did, <laughs> they did film Science of the Lambs on the campus of Quantico, so... That's true. That, that part's real. That huh? part's real. The trails are real. So <laughs> I don't know beyond. That's that, a really good movie. So mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I mean, it, for you know, for having that life experience, is that strictly for someone that's going to be in a field office, or I mean, if you have you know, a, a buddy of mine, he's fluent in seven or eight different languages. Wow. I know yeah, he yeah. got approached mm-hmm. pretty much right out the gate by a few different government agencies to be a translator for stuff. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I Grant, not everybody off the street is speaking fluent in conversation. You know, that's a little languages. different yeah. there, Gardo. But I mean, if you're, I mean, if you have the right degree, is there a chance that you could get, you know, the desk job or, you know, whatever you? Well, there's two types of work in the bureau. There's, there's support and there's agents. So, and that we have in support, which can be very high speed. We have scientists, mm-hmm. linguists. Um, we, we do a lot of intelligence folks now come in, uh, financial analysts. So there's a lot of really high speed folks, but that's a different type that's of a, work. Okay. So versus. Those are in, nerds. <laughs> <laughs> Says the guy who wrote code. So smart. Who writes? Right. Thank you very much. <laughs> but then the agents, it's a different, it's a different animal. And most of those folks tend to get hired, like I said, the average age is 30, more life experience and things like that. Some are younger. I mean, I know people that got in at, you know, 25, 26. Some. So field agents are more, or people who are dealing with other people. Are more are older and they have life experience, well, and the people who are to have the analysts, the law enforcement piece of it, then tend to be thirty, tend, tend to be older, um, um, skews that way. Okay. And hmm. uh, that's good news. I just made a career change. <laughs> right? I'm thirty. There you go. You know, you sharpen chainsaws. Useful. Do that experience. for the yeah. The, the bureau doesn't have. Which I mean, they uh, might have chainsaws. Is the Fargo office know. hiring? <laughs> now, if oh, funny hey you there. ask that. <laughs> 
the reason a lot of people hesitate from it is when you sign up, you sign up saying, I'll go anywhere. It's the needs of the Bureau. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the military that way. So needs of the Bureau. And so you go to Quantico, and about six weeks into Quantico, you open up an envelope, and that says where you're going. And then you can be there for a long time. It just depends. And you're allowed one move. And things change over time, but I think roughly it's still the same where you're allowed one move of your choice. Mm. But you have to get on the list to go somewhere. Right. You know, so it might be 12 years to get to Fargo or, or somewhere. Um, 12 years to Fargo. Whoever did that. <laughs> Some of us like I mean, being left Drecker alone. Drecker is up there now, so it's not as bad. You know, if you want to go to New York or Detroit, we'll get you there quicker, right? You know, but but to come back to Minneapolis, it might take a while. So it right. just it is what it is. So that's kind of a deterrent somewhat, because and that's how you're curious. It's needs at the Bureau. And so if you have a certain set of skills, like your friend with languages, that might decide where you spend your time, you know, and that's going to skew that way for you. Um, and you're always on call, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like, I guess I got voluntold. It is what it is. I get that's more than once in my career. I got voluntold into new jobs mm-hmm. because it's the needs at so the time. When you agree to join, you're at Quantico, you said, you know, you get this envelope, this is where you're going. Is it anything like I'm in the private sector? My company says, uh, if you're willing to transfer, where would you like to go? And you put like three different options. Yeah. You get to list all 56 offices in order. Mm, and it might mean a lot or it might mean nothing. Depends on that week. Right. You, know? you get a list of an order. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> and I, get, I, got, I got number six. There's an intern there in the, with a dart coming at the wall. <laughs> the ones with snow are at the bottom. <laughs> so I did, I got number six. So I was one of the higher picks in, in my class. Other people, some people were very happy. And some people were devastated. So, you know, uh, no, not number six. Like you get your six pick, six, or? six on the list. So oh, okay. I listed down. You know, and number six for me was Springfield Division, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I started out there. Okay. What change? Going on that vein, um, you know, you're married at this time. Mm-hmm. So how did that? How did having a family in that situation? It could be a challenging job. Um, you know, there's some real benefits to it, but some real. Str- and I had two little ones at the mm-hmm. at the time too. Um, and being on call 24-7 can be tough for spouses working and, you know, traveling. Um, needs of the Bureau comes first. So but you, don't, you don't get a lot of vacation? Or well, you, do, you, know, you get a fair amount of vacation, but you might have to cancel it if you have a trial. You know, people end up eating their plane tickets or whatever for vacations or missing holidays because if there's a trial, there's a trial. And they're not mm-hmm. going to change that for you. So it's that needs of the Bureau. But generally speaking... It was great for my family, you know, um, and the type of you can. The nice thing is once you get in, you get assigned to the work they need you to do. But then eventually you can put your name where you want to go. So I did white collar for seven years, which I loved. It was a great schedule and then did more reactive work for a while. And that was kind of fun. But, you know, after four years, I got burned down that. Then went back to something more more regulated. And my last four years was very right because it's training. So and there's no such thing as a training emergency. Right. So, um, so that was a good way to kind of ease out. All right, this is my dumbest question. I, I honestly <laughs> have to ask it. I, I can't not. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, no, 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 no. All right, so I really liked the show White Collar, which dealt with the FBI and a criminal consultant who wore fun hats. So did you ever have a criminal consultant who wore fun hats while you're working with white collar? I never watched that show. Oh, okay. No, but, it's it's. But what we do fun. have, and that, I'll I'll jump off that if that's okay, is yeah. we have local partners. So every time I worked a case, I always had a local partner. 
So whether it was Roseville PD, Minneapolis PD, St. Paul, BCA, and then we worked together. And that's in we're good at that. Despite what the movies show, we're really good at working together with our local partners. So it wasn't always, oh, the Fed showed up. No. <laughs> <laughs> got that from Tommy Lee Jones movies, I'm I sorry. <laughs> I'm with the FBI. No. <laughs> People will give you a hard time about that, but just jokingly. But you have all your, you know, you get these contacts and you work together. And then, because when you, the locals are much better at some things than we are, and we're pretty good at some other things. So okay. you, you kind of each bring your strength to it, and in the end, you see who can best prosecute something. Oh, nice. You okay. Know, so, so we have our local partners, and then within the bureau, we have a lot of help there, like the accountant types, like we mentioned earlier. So we have forensic accountants that are brilliant at that, and I can't do that, but they can. And you they, can, and well, and the FBI can pull them from all over the country, and. They can, but we are within each office. It's pretty deep. You know, oh, we got a lot it? of okay. good resources. And when you have something big, like a big kidnapping, then yeah, you can get whatever you want, and headquarters will send whatever resources. And like to hit home a little bit, the um, uh, Jamie yeah, yeah, Jamie Clausen yeah, up yeah. there. You know, they you know what two days, three days after it all happened, they mentioned the FBI is now working in conjunction with Barron County Sheriff and. Yeah, they're probably there that day. You know, it's how it works. Is so. There's a lot of local smaller offices outside the big field offices, and they'll have contacts, and they're probably up there that you know within hours, and then they're working together. And then, a lot of times, our job at that point is to bring federal resources and kind of manage that, and then come up with a plan because, you know, kidnappings, it's a federal violations, but most likely they end up being a murder or something that's not going to be a federal violation. But we're allowed to work together, assuming that. It could be. So how does something like the current federal shut, like not, not getting into politics of it or anything, but like just the, the shutdown itself affect something like the FBI? Well, I've been through a couple of them okay. in my career and we still work. We just don't get paid. So it doesn't, it doesn't change so, the response. Like, does the whole agency work or is it? You know, some people, some people might be considered non-essential, <clears throat> but most people are. So I don't, the public wouldn't see a, a difference, a difference in response okay. at all. Like, well, if you, for example, were in a shutdown and you were you weren't working in a case, you just have to be kind of a week that was in between. Would you then be considered non-essential? No, no. You're or? always essential. Okay, and and you're never not working a case. You know how it works, and that's kind of the nice thing about being an agent is you kind of generate your work, and so you have an area of expertise, an area you're working in. And you always have lots to do, and so you kind of working on multiple things at a time. You know, there's never. There's never a down season. You know, it might be a little bit slower, but more intense, but there's always plenty to do. So, always essential, yeah. And it, like, as I mentioned off air, I got about two dozen people asking me to ask this stupid question. <laughs> I'll ask the stupid questions. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I volunteer as trivia. <laughs> People going, oh, you have an FBI agent? Well, you need to ask them, so I'm just going to ask to appease them and get them off my ass after the show. Uh, do you, or can you answer, who killed JFK? <laughs> no. Perfect. That's you know, all that, I need. That's a CIA problem, moron. <laughs> Jesus Christ. God damn it. <laughs> Why are you so dumb? <laughs> that, that might just be the answer to the question, Casey. <laughs> No, as soon as I start talking, I get talking, asked a lot of questions when I speak, and um, yeah, no, that's a that's CIA thing. That, uh, mm-hmm. I would have no knowledge about. Yeah, is there? Um, do you know any CIA agents we could ask? 
Next question. <laughs> neither confirm nor deny that. Uh, is is there a favorite case that you can talk about? I missed the I missed the pre-show. No, that's a good discussion. question. Yeah. Um, I think, generally speaking, some of the prostitution cases, which were the hardest, but the most rewarding, you know, mm-hmm. putting a... In federal, if you do something with a minor federally, there's a big hit. There's mandatory minimum sentences. So be. that's... Which I'm very glad about. <clears throat> but um, some of those cases were very rewarding because you know those folks are just going to keep on rolling with it. And there's there was a couple and um, that took a long time with a lot of different victims and that's probably the most rewarding work but us again the most uh takes the biggest toll to at the same right. time it's a heavy heavy thing but you know you're doing good yeah so yeah i think that would probably be along there and you know white collar was fun too i really loved embezzlement cases oh. ponzi schemes you know because you're doing with people, love working with. Did people. you do that stuff like in this area, or were you stationed I, elsewhere? Minneapolis field office for 18 years. Okay. so most of my career was there. All right. Asking for somebody out there, you know, that's thinking, hey, maybe I want to go FBI and do this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, how how hard is it, or how hard was it for you, if at all, to separate? Well, I'm at work now, and when I go home work stops i'm now with my family i mean is there bleed through often i mean you see the movies where it's the distra- or tv shows it's the distressed agent who you know loses his wife and kid because he's bringing work home too much kind we've of. all I seen mean, true detective yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, well i mean i've only seen a, a, a criminal minds yeah. if you will <laughs> well i think generally with law enforcement you deal with some really rough stuff consistently and some of the local law enforcement you know god bless them they see a lot more you know hitting those domestics repeatedly or you see a lot and it, it can take a toll so you have to be purposeful and the bureau's pretty good, good about that i in part of my we have ancillary duties in the fbi so i was a negotiator for a while but i also was the eap coordinator our employee assistance coordinator for our office for about 16 years so giving resources to our folks to help them when things get challenging and overwhelming and and the bureau's also good that after you know number of years of doing type of work if you want to switch there's lots of type of work we do and all you gotta do is ask and you know that happened to me i got switched out to something different after a while because i had enough a particular type of work so you can't survive it you just have to be i think purposeful and what about, I mean, if there's any current, you know, law enforcement or FBI agents that happen to listen to this episode, I mean, is there, you know, support groups, you know, especially for if you're dealing with that harder stuff, is there somewhere that you can go and just kind of talk to somebody that might, you know, better understand than, you know, your buddy down at the bar would? Right. Yeah. And, you know, alcohol could be a problem. Yeah. It's a great way to self-medicate. Mm-hmm. Things are the wrong setting to say that, but um, <laughs> you're not wrong. That's why yeah. we're all drinking. So, <laughs> but you know, I know within agencies they have things set up. A lot of times, law enforcement types were all a bit suspicious. It just kind of comes with the territory, and what's, but there's always independent folks that are of good quality out there. What's the um, line from uh, The Departed, um, the the remake? Um, uh, bah, 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 the guy that, that goes was to Mars. Line. I know that the guy that goes to Mars. What's his name? Matt Damon. Matt Damon. He's sitting down with the uh, the psychological therapist. 
person. He goes, well, you're uh, you're a therapist with a bunch of Mick cops in Boston. You're really up Shit's Creek. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) is it that kind of you know in house, if you will, or I mean in house? I mean, we're we were great. We 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 had great resources. We had a great list of folks. Lots of people to choose from to go get assistance with. Um, But there's a lot of good assistance you can find independently. But there's so there's no reason not to get help. There's plenty of good resources out there for anybody, um, and some of the work can take a toll. And we, uh, we've been talking for like an hour fifteen. Uh, Gordon, <laughs> I mean, I, I have I have one last question. Yeah. But I have one more, and then um, I'll. Show all right. Up. So let me start with my stupid one, and then you can end with your serious <laughs> <Perfect>. one. <laughs> all right. So uh, at, at the beginning of this, you said robbing a bank is real dumb. Yes. So like. I don't know. I love movies like The Heat and stuff like that. Mm. Like, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just just really, like, good bank robbery movies. When when did it become stupid to rob a bank? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, just, just like, just, just, like, I I mean, because. It's been consistently stupid, but as technology improves, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the cameras are so good nowadays. Okay. It's just not a good idea. Well, I mean, like, because you look at, like, things like the James Younger gang, like, they had public opinion on their side. Right. In certain parts of the country. In certain parts of the country, not once they got up north. They yeah. they went out of their their range. Right. They 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 lost the the, the, the south. Uh, Jesse James Day era. Yeah. yeah. That, that Bonnie is, and Clyde. That's literally what I was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I grew, I'm from Northfield. That's my yeah. hometown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Just, yeah. No, and that's yeah. the first time I went to that. But one. yeah, no, like I'm just I'm curious, like when when did technology like overtake that? Was it like the fifties, the sixties? You know, I think within my career time, even oh, really? years I was in, I saw dramatic changes with technological abilities, and it just just don't rob a bank. <laughs> well, like, we heard we had one story on the show where we talked about some dude who robbed a bank and then tried to get away by floating down the river oh, on an yeah, yeah. inner tube. Yeah. I think <laughs> Points for curiosity, <laughs> creativity, rather. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, it's not fast enough. I'll just put out there: crime in general, don't do it. Doesn't yeah. pay. Yeah. Don't do it. Just go get a job. No upside to it. <laughs> I know plenty of people hiring. Well, the problem I, with bank robberies is it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 uh, you're not going to make much, and it's a very dangerous. People get hurt, and you'll get caught. It's just not a good idea. I got a good story to see if you know anything about it off air, but. I'm just um, off of that. We, talking about bank robberies in particular, like bank robbery is what built the FBI in a, in a big way. <clears throat> I think if you look at the history, it's what pushed. I think was it the FBI, the Pinkertons? I don't know, sorry, I'm playing no, I mean, Red Dead. There was an, al- <laughs> there's an element to that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The the more the more notorious a, a unsuccessful a criminal group got, the more then all of a sudden the agency was able to say like we need these resources well there's the reason them. we had the untouchables <clears throat> really right like that movie but it's a big thing in in like the 20s like the bad guys had bigger caliber guns and faster cars right and the bureau originally wasn't armed at all right so, and then they were armed with like 38s and the bad guys were shooting for a 45. long time long and they time. or they had six inline six-cylinder fords and the bad guys had v8s because well, the bad guys also raced NASCAR. <laughs> well, NASCAR started out of moonshining. Which was the bad guys. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. No, in um, 
when I had to duck out for a second, kind of got me thinking. Uh, on a, a residential or more personal level, I mean, uh, you know, the stuff that we talk about. Would you or do you ever, have you ever worked with? You know, whether you know, I know there's a women's shelter or anything. I live you know, right a next shelter to it, like that. I mean, have you ever worked with or the advice that you've given these larger businesses? Is that advice applicable? You know, the run first, if not hide. You know, it's applicable everywhere. And then I should also say, let me just hit real quick, that it's not just that way I teach, but we always start with situational awareness. Mm-hmm. So that we always start training with le- giving people questions to develop their situational awareness. Because if you're not aware of what's going on around you, you'd be too late anyway to mm-hmm. do anything. And then locking in some personal safety, too, is a part of it. So it's not just... Because chances are you're not going to be in an active shooter event, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a good chance you're going to be in some type of violent encounter in your life. So I also then, every time I do one of these, I also give a lot of tips about how to prepare for that getting jumped in the parking lot or a parking structure or being involved when you're in a bank and it's robbed or, you know, some type of violent encounter in your life and how to prepare for that ahead of time. And then we do the active shooter. But the other thing, too, which is, like I said, is important, is the pre-event indicators of violence. And everybody should know that because we're all around. If everybody was on board with looking out for pre-event indicators of violence and everybody knew how to respond when a violent current, violent um, situation occurred, how many lives would be saved, right? And so just getting this information out, um, I think, is key. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in a situation, that would be perfect because situational awareness is the first step. And if people are situation aware, they're going to pick up that there's a car that's been occasionally sitting out there and I don't know who they are. You know, and they're kind of showing up on a regular basis. Or you can pick up on, you know, I teach people to trust their spidey sets. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't feel like something's right because you're aware of what's going on around you, you can respond to it and start getting ready to respond. I've exhausted all my questions, Ben, Casey. I mean, do you have anything All else? I have is stupid. So. <laughs> I think to, to close out, what's, what's the most common question you get and what's the biggest takeaway you want uh, our listeners to have? Most common question is, uh, boy, how did I become the FBI? Be getting the FBI. I get that one all the time. I think we kind of covered that. Yeah. But, um, but the takeaway is that I want as many people as possible to think about their safety ahead of time. So be situationally aware of what's going on around you and have some things you can do about it. So have some improvised weapons, have a way to lock your door if you're, you can't run, and then study run, hide, fight, and then share it with others. Because if we all did that, the body counts would be way down. And I think that's how we save lives. I actually have a decent question, I think. <laughs> wow. Uh, I know, right? We're, we're going to go for a two-hour episode. Right? Wow. Uh, no, so um, when you go into all these places, is there one where you were just like, what are you guys doing? Like, is, is there one that you've walked into and you're like, no, you're doing everything completely wrong? No. I mean, you, you have to name it by name, but like... No, no, I think because if I'm coming in, that means they're thinking about it. Okay. So I th- think they're way ahead of the curve. As long right. as you're thinking about it and start preparing, you're doing better than most, mm-hmm. right? I think I'm concerned about the people that don't think about it, and those are the ones I don't talk to. Um, you know, and, and I get a little concerned when people take run off the table. And most people now have gotten off the, the shelter in place or the lockdown so I like having run as an option in every so setting. So did, did the shelter in place just come from it was no real experience with shooters and then like that was just kind of like the go-to was shelter in place? You know, I'm not sure. We're, that's a good question. I haven't thought well, that I, through. The first time 
I encountered the shelter in place was post Columbine, which I remember. I don't know when was that ninety. 99. 99. Was it 99? Yeah, 98 or 99. I thought it was before that. Anyway, um, I remember... No, you're just young. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I remember seeing that. I remember seeing the news footage of the students running and teachers Mm -hmm. running out of there. But then I remember by the time I got to middle school and high school, it was lock the door, barricade the door with the table, and then hide in the corner. But that, yeah, that shelter, yeah. Yeah, and most, it's the K-12 schools that really have that as the key way to respond but i want run that's you know hiding's great if you can't run but you got to have run as an option for teachers Mm -hmm. because how many classrooms windows do open why not get kids out you know and maybe it's in the gym something's happening if you're close to the door why not get them out Mm -hmm. there's no downside to running if you can because it's hard at a moving target and you want people spread out you never want to cluster together so most settings are good with with the run high fight, it's the K twelve schools I tend up getting in more fights with, but they're evolving. I'm finding more and more schools coming over to the <laughs> other side. And so, um, for anybody out there, you know, if they're retiring law enforcement, firefighter, or FBI, and they want to kind of create their own company similar to yours i mean not to create competition for you no no i should be the only one doing this (laughs) (laughs) um i mean would you do you have any words of advice for them i you know i know marketing can be a bit of a nightmare some days you know i haven't done many really it's just it's been word of mouth so i think if you put out a good product i mean that's people will refer you to others and um stick with your strengths you, you, you developed a lifetime of experience. I mean, the Bureau was a gift in that they, for four years, this is all they had me do. Hmm. And so, it, you know, they trained me in it and it, it gave me a great starting point. I could never just launch a business. You know, I already knew a lot of people and had the experience. So go with your experience, um, put out a good product. And it's really easy. I mean, Squarespace, you know, it's kind of a no brainer. And um, so it's been a good experience for me. I've sure enjoyed doing it. And if Squarespace would like to sponsor this, oh, no, no, no. you just have to reach out to them, and then you can get the referral link. It's not hard. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> uh, and more importantly, uh, Joe, if somebody wants to work with you, uh, you know what's the easiest way for them to get in contact with you? Sure, my website is uh, allpointsn.com. Somebody had north, so I couldn't get that. So www.allpointsn.com, or you can email me at Kona Joe. 629 at gmail.com and if there's one uh, like piece of advice that you'd like to leave everybody with before we sign off I'd say uh, learn run hide fight and share it with those you love uh, speaking of run hide fight it is uh, run hide fight uh, at ready Houston on YouTube so if you just search run hide fight Houston mm-hmm. that's the video that Joe was talking about earlier so nice. great that's a good one perfect yeah, and if my super producer Casey, I didn't know if you wanted me to run the outro music yet. <laughs> you Thank didn't you. give me any kind of uh, indication, but uh, non-verbal I ran communication. Out of all my questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you didn't send me a pre-list of all your cu- questions. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> music, please, <laughs> Casey. <laughs> anyway, thank you everyone for listening into episode eighteen of Rules Arena, and with Joe from All Points North Consulting. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please shoot me an email at roapodcastinfo 
dot at, oh, fuck. at info <laughs> dot uh, <laughs> turtle dot ROE uh, podcast info at gmail.com <laughs> otherwise uh, you can find this episode and others and including the other shows at blindstudios.com and you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at blind at fuck at I can just give you a blind into studios email address if you want that'd be awesome <laughs> <laughs> my life so much easier <laughs> Thanks, folks, and we'll catch you next time.